0: Why don't you pray with me? Would you do that? Lord, thank you that uh, you made us for something bigger than this moment. You made us for something bigger than just going to work tomorrow. You made us for something bigger than earning a paycheck. You made us for worship. And so, as we understand and explore what that means, I pray that you would speak to us. So, we ask this in your name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I, I want to, uh, there's some people in the room wearing some orange shirts, and I want to make sure that you know who they are and why they are wearing an orange shirt today. So if you're wearing an orange shirt, would you stand up really quick? You know who you are. Uh, a couple of you in the room, Gracie and Dylan. I don't know if there's anybody else in the back. So what's going on is uh, next Sunday, keep standing, guys, because they want to see you, okay? They need to look at your face. Um, Next Sunday, they're running as part of our partnership with uh, World Vision, a Christian humanitarian organization that's the number one provider of clean water around the world. They do it in Jesus' name. Um, They're running the Chicago Marathon, and they're raising money. So here's what you can do. After the service, you can walk up to them and say, how can I support you next Sunday? A $50 donation gives clean water for life to a child. In a developing country, um, so you you need to see them, and they need they need multiple donations before they walk out the door because you're making a difference when you do it. They're the World Vision is um, the charity teams. This is from the Chicago Marathon. They posted this the other day. Uh, World Vision is far and away the largest charity team at the Chicago Marathon, um, and we're we're super proud of them. Not not everybody can undertake a marathon, but they're doing it. So will you support them? Yes, we will. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a seat. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We always read the scriptures together. Uh, We're beginning a new series today called The Purpose of the Church, and um, we're reading from the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3. I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along on the screen. This is the words of Paul. Paul, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to reach the Gentiles, that's the people that were the non-Jews, that apparently in their day were not allowed to hear the word of the Lord, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. In other words, to make it possible for people to take possession of it, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Read verse 10 out loud with me. His intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's why you're not, I'm like, why are they not reading with me? What is the deal? Verse 10, I'm by myself, thanks. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I, I want you to do something for me. Uh, even though the scripture wasn't on the screen, uh, um, what I want you to do is I want you to do something old school for me today. I want you to open your Bible. Um, I, back in the day, I remember the day when someone would, with a pastor, would get up to preach. Uh, there would people would have, they'd have this. This is a book known as the Bible, <laughs> uh, and people would open it. It's crazy, I know. And then the pastor would say, "Turn to this page," and then you would hear this rustling of the pages. You know, does anybody remember that? Anybody the rustled the pages? Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to open, we're going to look at Ephesians 3, but we're going to also look at Ephesians chapter 2. And in a minute, get, we'll get to in the message, Ephesians chapter 2. So I want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, I understand opening the Bible for you may mean going like this. <laughs> so, that may be opening about, that's fine. Uh, because it's not gonna, that's not going to be on the screen, and we're going to walk through that together, Ephesians chapter 2, in, in just a minute. Um, and we're going to do that old school. Well, hey, um, this, is, this is why I'm doing this series. Uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, um, announced that my family and I are going to be making a transition. Um, in God's kingdom, it, it, this is maybe not the greatest metaphor, so please don't take it all the way to the end. Uh, but God's kingdom is kind of like a chessboard, and he, we're, we're people who serve at his disposal and sometimes he moves, it, moves the chess piece to a different place on his big board. We have the little square, <laughs> and, um, and this is uh, it's a, a, a longer story. I'll be happy to tell you that, but we're making that uh, transition um, at the end of the month. And I want to, as I, as I transition out, I want to give you a gift because pastors are trying their best to give gifts to their people. And one of the gifts a pastor gets to give is a sermon. And so I want to I wanna talk to you for several weeks about the purpose of the church, because you're it. You're the church, and so I want to make sure that, that what the church is is clear um, so that you can play your role. You can play the move that God has for you. So uh, I think it would be good to start with talking about what the church isn't, Taking notes, you can fill in some of these blanks as we go through them. I think that the way, uh, ways we talk about the church aren't very helpful sometimes. Um, uh, maybe uh, someone asked you yesterday, hey, what, what are you going to do tomorrow? And you said to them, I'm going to go to church. Yeah. Uh, maybe if you were to text a friend right now, don't do that right now. If you were to text a friend right now and, and, or they were to, you were to get a message while we're, you're sitting here, hey, where are you right now? You might respond back with, In church right? Those, those are not really helpful ways. I understand why we say that. I, I get it. But that, those are some of the things that the church isn't. So let me just outline for you just three things I think the church is not. Uh, the church is not dependent on one person. The church is not dependent on one person. Um, uh, Mindy, who is our, our office admin, she's, uh, she's new and she's awesome. She's doing an amazing job. And I have this little, little, little stump speech that I always give to anybody who supports staff to just, uh, just say, hey, this is why your role is so important. And my stump speech is that, uh, that if in a, in a small, small church, the, the pastor usually does a ton of things, um, and, but that pastor is trying to equip people to do their ministry, but in a church our size, uh, it's the staff that is the pastor to the church, and so every function matters and so every uh like we have debbie i walked in this morning and i always go to starbucks before i have a little routine i do on sunday mornings and i always go to starbucks i get the same thing and i was carrying it on my computer like this as i opened the door and it went boom like a bomb and i think i got it all off you can't see it but that's so good um but debbie came and she cleaned that up because she's amazing and debbie makes this place spotless well that's an act of love that's pastoring the church and um, all the support staff that whenever they I said you know when you answer the phone that and you love somebody and you treat them kindly and with respect and dignity that is as important if not more important than the fact that some guy stands up on a stage and delivers a message on a Sunday because it's not dependent on one person it's all of us together church is is not dependent on one person Um, it's not a Sunday gathering though we gather and we gather to be reminded of who we are and who we represent throughout the week. Now think about this for a second. If you say, you know what, I don't understand why you go to church. Well, I, I'll tell you why I go to church. Uh, I, I, go be, I, I come to the gathering of the church because I want to be reminded of who I am every week. And think about it like this. Uh, let's just say you went on vacation for two weeks, and let's just say you didn't go to church when you went on vacation, right? Right? It may be a good idea if you did but let's so say you didn't. But you were here. You could have, during the course of a year, 50 course corrections for your life moving you back toward God. That's some of the power of gathering in the room. But it's not this. The church is not just a Sunday gathering. We gather to stay on track, but it's not the gathering. Uh, the church is not a place. Now, together, the church owns a building, but the building is just a tool to build people. It's a place to welcome people. You can think about the church building like your living room. Um, you, you maybe, when someone comes over, maybe you don't take them into the kitchen. Uh, maybe when someone comes over, you didn't get all the dishes done, and so you, you shove that one dish into the, into the dishwasher, you know, so you don't want them to see like you would. But you might take them into the living room and welcome them. You want it to be clean, and you want it to be neat, and you want it to be orderly, and you want it to be welcoming. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it, we own a building, but it's just a tool. So, the church isn't those things. So, what what is the church? Well, the church is a people, if you're keeping notes. Um, The word in the the New Testament for uh, the church is the ekklesia. That's the Greek word for the church, ekklesia. Could you say that with me? Ekklesia, ekklesia. And that simply was a reference to the assembly. Uh, It literally means people who are called out. So, the church is then your tribe. The church is your people. Listen, there is nothing on earth like the church. It's a global organization in every village. You go to the the most remote village in the middle of Africa or India or China or a a house church in China that's endangered by the government. You could go to Alaska. You would find a gathering of God's people who have been called by God to be together. And so there's nothing on earth like the church. We're not together because we have the same politics. We're not together because we share the same background. We're not together because we happen to like the same things or we have the same hobbies. We're not together because we have the same economics or we have the same kinds of jobs. We're together because we've heard the call of God and we've responded. The church is a people that are brought together by Jesus. That's what the church is. And then the church is a mission. It's something to do. And the mission of the church is that from Jesus is that we would learn to love God. We would learn to love people and we would learn to serve the world. And then the church is for the world that God loves. And that's, that's, I'm taking that from John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his son. And that, that modifier there so loved is, is a is a way to amplify the word love. Not just love, but so love. There was so much love that God gave his son. And so the church is to so love the world in the same way that God so loves the world. This is how Jesus said it in John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father read, I want you to, I think it's on the screen. Yep, it is. As the <laughs> read out loud with me, ready? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Do you know who said that? Jesus, right, in church, you're in church, the answer is always Jesus. Uh, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now think about what that means for a second. That means in the same way that God sent Jesus into the world, he's sending you into the world. So when does this change that the church is sent into the world to so love it in the way that God sold it? Does that ever change? No. Why? Because it was given to us by Jesus, and, and, and it's the earthly purpose of the church to be sin in the world, and to love it in Jesus' name. So what what is it? That's what we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about. What is the purpose of the church? Um, If you had a pen, and all you ever did with that pen was look at the pen and say, that's my pen. Hey, do you guys see my pen? Did you know my pen can write things? Did you know my pen could write an entire book? But you never took the cap off and used the pen. You would not be using it according to its purpose. You'd be talking about its purpose, but you wouldn't be using it according to its purpose. And so we're going to talk about what is the, the actual purpose of the church. And now here's, Paul, Paul goes somewhere that I would have never gone. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, if you've got a Bible and you want to scroll to that, you want to scroll to that, you can do that. Uh, he, he says this. It's very kind of confusing. And it's like, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities. What in the world does that mean? What is the manifold wisdom of God? Who are the rulers and authorities? And then he adds, in in the heavenly realms. What, What is he talking about? Manifold is a word that means multifaceted. You could think about like, uh, like a diamond, the multifaceted wisdom of God. And in, in the multifaceted wisdom of God, he chose broken people like you and me to display his wisdom. Now, listen, uh, that's a, a, a serious question that comes up for me and anybody who works in, with the public in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You go, are you serious, God? Do you know how nuts we all are? I mean, Really? You chose people to display how wise you are? Do you know how unwise we can be? Are you aware? But God did. In his manifold, in his multifaceted wisdom, he chose us to make known to the rulers and authorities. These are the angels and the demons. These are the governments and the cities. These are the bosses and the principals. To all the powers, the church has this testimony to say God has a different kind of wisdom and a different kind of way to live. And that's our message that we have to, and in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on further and he says because of this we, we, we approach God with freedom and confidence. Now let me, let me give that to you in, in, in other language. That means there should be no false barriers to God. The church should never put up False barriers to God. There are so many false barriers to God. Uh, people sometimes think, you know, I have to dress a certain way. And if I, if I don't dress a certain way, now we, we don't have that, that problem. It's a beautiful thing. You can come dressed any way you want here and you feel usually pretty comfortable. But there are places in churches where, you know, if you, to, if you look a certain way, you don't fit in. And, and people that are a guest, they come in and they see how everybody's dressed and they look at themselves and they, they know that they're not dressed right. Like we have it happen every Easter, someone comes here and they're dressed like in a full suit because they think I'm supposed to come to church in a suit. And then they look around, they're like, nobody's in a suit, I feel like a total idiot, I got to get out of here. You know, so it's, it's the exact opposite, right? Uh, but that's a, fa- that's a false barrier when you put up a false, you say, you got to look like us or you got to talk like us. That's why we work really, really hard to just talk normal. And sometimes Christians get involved in, in, in using our own language. Some people call it Christian ease, where we say things that normal people just don't say. And I, I challenge you, if you're one of those people who uses that language, there's nothing wrong with that, but I challenge you to learn to say it in a normal way to people. Uh, because it's, sometimes it's off-putting when you say, you know, we just want to bless the Lord today, and we just give glory to God. Now, all those things are absolutely true, but just explain what you mean. Just let people know and understand what you mean. And then sometimes the false barriers are mistaken understandings of what the gospel is. And so some people think that the message of Jesus is, listen, us Christians, we're getting it right. We're the moral people. We're, we're doing it the right way. And your job is to become moral like us. And that's, that's not the gospel. The go- And I'll talk about that when we get to Ephesians 2 in a second. The gospel is you were dead and now you're alive. Not that you're good and you need to be good like us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you've been made alive. Or sometimes the gospel can be reduced to fire insurance. Like, are you going to be in the smoking section or the non-smoking section for all eternity? Which one are you? Now, I mean, that's an important question to answer. But the gospel is that Jesus is present now. Christmas is getting ready to come around the corner, and we're going to talk about Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us now in a way that never ends. Uh, the, the gospel, I heard someone quote it this way. It's kind of made it its way as a meme on social media. The gospel is not, I screwed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel is, I screwed up. I need to go talk to my dad. Do you see the difference there? That's approaching God with freedom and confidence. And the church has this beautiful gift to offer to the world to say to people who think they have to approach God in a different way. You can come to God with freedom and with confidence. Now, there are real barriers to God. Um, there, there's the guilt that we feel. There's the sense that we have screwed up, and the realization that we don't get it right. The awareness of how we've missed the mark. And this is this is honestly something that weighs on the human heart. I have a set like you do in my closet, probably, uh, of paint clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you got to do like dirty stuff, or you got to paint the house, and you put on the paint clothes. And like I got a pair of shorts and a couple t-shirts that they just got spots so when i'm when i'm like doing something i just do this right it just gets dirtier <laughs> cuz i don't care the, the stain, because I, what I know is at one point, I, I, it was my favorite pair of shorts, and like an idiot, I painted it in them one day, and then I got paint on them, and I was like, "Ah, oh, man, these are now my paint shorts, because when you go paint something, you almost can't avoid getting it on you. That's the same thing with the guilt of sin. You, you can't avoid it. The stain of sin is on the human conscious, and we don't know how to get it out, and that's why we go to God. Uh, one of the other real barriers uh, is a sense of shame, like I'm defective or I'm broken or I have no value, and, and a sense that we've been used up by the world. And here's the purpose of the church and all of that, if you're keeping notes. The purpose of the church is to point people to God through Jesus Christ. For the guilt you have, for the shame that you carry. Jesus Christ removes those kinds of things from people and loves them back to life. And he does it in the context of the church. And what we're doing when we do that is we're helping them to look up. You know when you feel you're not feeling great and, and maybe th- something's not working right or, or what You feel down. We even have language for this. We talk about down. Why? Because you kind of, your head goes down. Like you, when you're thinking about things or you're, you're like, why is this like this? What's happening? But when, when your spirits are free from, when your spirit is free from all of that weight, what do you do? You look up. Right? Because you go, oh, oh my gosh, the, it's up. So when, when you check into a hotel, the best rooms are always up like you go downtown chicago and you look all the way up to the top of all those high-rise buildings that's where the penthouse is because that's where the best stuff is it's up like we're, we're meant to look up we're meant to look up to god the christian word, word for that is worship when we look up and and the, the worship is the first and most important purpose of the church and it's the only purpose of the church that will continue in heaven we'll still be looking up to god for all eternity now i, I have this contention about this idea of worship. i talk about this for just a second. It, and, and it's this. It's that, that you will only worship God if you are grateful for what God has done in your life. Let me say that to you again, because that's very important. You will only worship God if you are grateful for what God has done in your life. If you think it's a requirement that God has got a rod and he is ready to hit you with it, uh, listen, you're, it's going to be kind of like when your mom made you go clean your room. Like, I'm fine, I'll clean your room, if you think that it's a rule that you have to follow or God's going to be upset with you, then you're going to do it begrudgingly. If you think it's cool, and sometimes right now worship is kind of cool, worship music kind of has this cool vibe to it, and you only, you only do it because it's cool and everybody else is doing it, then when it's not cool, guess what you won't do anymore? You won't worship anymore. And, and I, I really think this is the case. Anything other than gratefulness, and it won't be worship for you, it will be some form of work. And you know when you work, at some point you've got to rest. You're like, i got to stop this. This is driving me nuts. So I, I think you're only grateful when you see what God has done in your life. And that's why Ephesians 2, I want you to, if you got your Bible and you need to scroll to it, Ephesians chapter 2, or you've got the old school, flip the pages. Um, I'm going to walk you through. I'm going to read some of these, these passages, and, and we're going to look together at what it is that God has done in our lives so that we can together worship. Good for that? Okay. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read it, and then I'll just make a comment on it. As for you, turn to your neighbor and say, that's mean, that means you. That means you. Now, tap yourself right here. Tap yourself like this and go, and that means me. And that means me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the earth. Your transgressions and sins, that's your, the, the, the intentional decisions that you made, the patterns that then took over your life that took you away from God, Paul is saying those decisions and those patterns were killing you. Now listen, for some of you, it was so bad that you had some scenarios where you almost lost your life or you have a friend who went through something and their pattern did take their life. It literally killed them. And, and Paul says, you used to follow the ways of this world. Everyone around you said it was normal to do that. Everyone around you said it was fine to have a little bit of an addiction, and it was no big deal, and you just needed it for, for comfort, and it was okay, and it was the way you could get around things. And Paul says that's really a demonic, life-sucking way of living. And then he says in verse 3, all of us lived among that spirit at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and Following its desires and thoughts. Now listen, this is a phrase that gets used all the way through the New Testament, so you got to understand it. We've talked about it before. Your flesh is a symbol for life without God. Here's my, here's my understanding. Here's my, my, my best understanding of what the flesh is. It's my needing satisfaction for how I feel as soon as possible. I feel something, I don't like feeling something and I don't want to feel the way that I feel and so that I, I do whatever I have to do in the moment to not feel that thing. And what happens is that need for sac- satisfaction becomes a pattern. I feel bad, I don't want to feel bad. That will make me feel good. Now that could be a very short-term thing. It could be an addiction that you get into. Like I need it right now. I need to feel better. It could be revenge. I will wait this person out, and they will get what is coming to them. Right? And, and, and he uses this language like, we craved this. All of us craved this. All of us did that. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the kind of people that we became, Paul says, we deserved, a very powerful word. He says, we deserved wrath. Many of us had, had plenty of anger and wrath in our lives. This is why when you sin all the time, your relationships break down all the time because you're both too focused on yourselves to be for the other person because you just need your satisfaction. And, and, and then there's too much wrath for any, to make anything work in your life. It's just a complete mess. Paul's painting this picture of life as a, without God as a complete mess. And then I love this verse for, uh, the word is, I wish I had it on the screen for you, I, I do not. Then he says this big thing, he says, but, now this is a big but, so I want you to out loud, thank God for big buts. Just say it right now, thank you God for big buts. Can you say that? Thank you God for big buts. So this is a big but you need. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. Now listen, we, uh, not long ago, I've told you this story before, uh, but we we got our kids a bird and um, tragic moment in the Marshall household. Um, I was sitting in my office downstairs working on my message um like I do and I heard my kids screaming you, you know the kind of scream are your kids where you're like yeah they're fine and no one's dying and just you, you kind of you know you i not know talking about but then there's the kind of scream that you go oh my word what just someone just broke an arm what we got to go to the emergency room where, where are you and I that all three kids are ah! and I come around the corner and Brinkley our dog had Bo our bird in her mouth and Bo was dead. And my kids watched it all happen. We're going to need some counseling. Can someone help us with that? Um, we, we gave Bo a, a, a proper Christian parakeet funeral. Um, I read, if you know what the Book of Common Prayer is, I read a little funeral right out of the Book of Common Prayer. We put Bo in a box. And don't tell my kids, but I put the box in the trash. But that's not my best moment. Not my best moment. Don't judge. Don't judge. Uh, Here's the reality that you know, right? Something dead is not coming back to life on its own, right? It would take a miracle for Bo to come back. The dead don't, unless there's a glitch in accounting, the dead don't collect paychecks. That was us. We were dead. That's why the gospel is not, you just need to be a little bit better like us Christians who have it all figured out. It's no, no. We were dead in our transgressions and sin and the mess we'd made of our lives, and God, who is rich in mercy in his grace, made us alive. So listen, 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 listen. This has nothing to do with how good you are, it has everything to do with how dead you were and how good God is. That's the powerful difference of the gospel. And then verse 6, and so God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order, listen, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Now listen, that that means God's future, absolutely, that we would be kind of these trophies of God's grace that people would see how how God took us from when we were dead and made us alive. And you heard Aaron tell that story standing up here about I came in here and I was kind of dead. But it's also a comment about your future, and it's a comment about your kid's future, and it's a comment about your grandkids' future. Because before Christ, the legacy you were passing on was selfishness and rage and anger and fear. That was what you were passing on. But now, but now, because of the incomparable riches of God, you can pass on a legacy of grace. did a funeral this week. And um, there's a lady named Rose. Rose came with her son. She's 81 years old. She contracted, stage, she had stage four lung cancer this summer and, and died pretty quickly, found it, and she died pretty quickly. Uh, I always go and I meet with the family and I, I talk with the family about the person before the funeral. And I met with, um, she She married her husband, Ron, 43 years ago, and they be, kind of became the Brady Bunch. She had four kids. Um, he had four kids and they, they came they became the Brady Bunch together. And I've, I've done that a bunch. I've done that a lot. Met with a lot of families and heard a lot of stories about a lot of, and I talk to you all the time about the box test and all that. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever felt so much like I should be Moses who God said, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. I mean, I, I, really, I literally was sitting at the head of their kitchen table And I I almost had the impulse to reach down and untie my shoes because of the way they described the grace of this woman who'd met Jesus Christ years ago and just had a leg. I mean, her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids stood up at her funeral and talked about the grace of God that was passed on to them as a legacy. What Paul is saying is before that, all you were passing on was a mess. And unless you get that, You'll never worship. So then he says, verse famous verse, verse 8: First, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Now, Paul's talking internally about what's going on in us, and he switches, and he starts to talk about externally, and so um, he goes on, he says, therefore, uh, remember, and he talks about when you were Gentiles, and you were uncircumcised, and um, by those who call themselves the circumcision, if you don't know what that is, talk to your mom, um, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time, and he talks about what it's like when you didn't have Christ, how you were separated from people. He said, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship. You were foreigners. Of the, you had without hope. You were without God. In other words, you were alone. Your sin made you alone. You were alone in the world trying to figure out how to make your way in the world. You didn't know what to do. And then there's another big but. Another big but. But, verse 11, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away. you got to listen to the language. Far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who's made the two groups one, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Listen, election season coming, do not buy into the, if you're a Christian, do not buy into the political rhetoric. Don't do it. Don't go, I'm up, I'm a donkey, or I'm an elephant, because that's what you are. We do not serve the party of the donkey or the party of the elephant. We serve the party of the lamb, Okay. That's who, that's who, don't, don't buy into it because Jesus didn't come to hate somebody because they see it differently than you. Don't, don't buy into it. He destroyed the barrier. He created himself one new humanity, a new way of being human out of the two, those thus making peace. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And then he goes on, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Do you know what it's like to be new to a place? And you're an outsider from the beginning. Do you know what that feels like? Now, maybe you've lived here all your life and you don't know what that's like. I know what that's like. You're going to have a new pastor come here. And they're going to, don't, don't you dare let them feel like an outsider. you just like, you're part of our family from day one. And, and, and that's, that's with our sin. That's what we were. We were, we were outsiders. We were foreigners and strangers, and there was no immigration policy that we could figure out on our how to get into heaven, how to get into the kingdom. We didn't, we didn't know how to do it. And we were fellow citizens now with God's people. We're, listen to his language. We're members of his households. Yes, the church. And you too, you're being built. You, and that's a collective you. It's a you all. You all too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, if you If you digest what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2, and you go, that is really and truly my story. I was a mess. And then, not only that, I didn't know how to have relationships with people. I didn't know how to get close to people. And I'm not telling you it's a magic thing that instantly everything's better, but God puts you on a path to healing and puts you in a family, the church, and gives you a purpose together. And so now together the church worships God out of gratefulness. Do you understand that? And and when you're grateful, when you see where God has brought you from, and you can paint the picture and paint the story, it it changes something in your heart and you start to do things differently. That's why people around here give. They they give out of gratefulness. It's not an obligation. It's, look what God, God's given me everything. I'm glad to give back. That's the, the purpose of the church now people think that in heaven um there's going to be this big long church service I, I mean maybe i mean you know it's gonna be really awesome josh will be leading it'll be great <laughs> <laughs> i it, it, i mean, i'm sure that will happen but but do you know what it's like when you have a relationship with somebody And you're so grateful for what they did for you because they were so unbelievably gracious to you over and over and over again. And then it finally, maybe this was you growing up and you left home and then you look back on your time at home and you realize how big a jerk you were and and to your your mom. And then later, like in your late 20s, early 30s, when you start to have kids and you realize how hard it was and how hard it was for your mom, you go back to your mom and you go, I'm really sorry, I get it now. (laughs) You were so gracious to me and so kind and so, and your gratefulness for what she did for you draws you to her into a closer relationship. That's, that's heaven. You're going to see the glorious graciousness of God's character to you How over and over again was gracious to you. And, and you're going for eternity, that just, that warm feeling will grow in your heart. <laughs> that's the beauty, that's the picture of heaven that the scriptures attempt to paint. And it's the purpose of the church to create people who worship God. That's your purpose. That's your play for the region. Never give it up. Ever. Uh, I want to pray for you, and then I want to introduce the, the members of the board. They're going to come down here front here real quick, and I'm just going to explain who they are and, and give you that information. But let me, let me pray for you, okay? Lord, thank you that where uh, we don't see it, you do where we've screwed it up you've had grace where we've gotten it wrong you've gotten it right where the choices that we've made have resulted in pain and anguish and hurt and we don't even understand fully that you are already there with your grace and that because you are rich in mercy you made us alive with Christ Jesus it's by grace we've been saved with by grace oh God thank you for your grace Thank you that it's not based on anything that we would do because we would just brag about how great we are. Thank you that it's not based on that at all. It's based on your goodness alone. Thank you that you were good to us when we were terrible to you. Thank you for your grace. So, God, we want to be the church who points people to the life-giving message and person of Jesus Christ. Oh, we want to we do that for the region. So we commit ourselves to that in this very moment, to not quit, to not give up, because the church is not a person or a building or an event, it's a people and a mission, and we're for the world in the way that you are for the world. And So we commit ourselves to that in this moment together, and all God's people said, amen. amen.